Intent is the most powerful predictive indicator in the realm of digital marketing. Hey guys, it's your girl, Ashley Graham, and you are listening to Business Life and Coffee Podcast with your boy, Joey Price. What's up? And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Business Life and Coffee Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs build a better version of themselves as they go on and build a better version of their business. This episode, we are talking all about Google Words and PPC. And who better to chat with than Mr. PPC Assassin himself, Qasem Aslam, who is the founder and CEO of Solutions 8. And he's a best-selling author, and his book, The Seven Critical Principles of Effective Digital Marketing, is a number one Amazon bestseller. So if you're looking to grow your business through paid advertising, you're going to want to listen to what he's got to say. Kasim, thanks for joining us on the show. Joey, thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. Hey, man, I'm so glad you're here. Tell us the top three things we need to know about the role that Google AdWords can play in your business. Yeah, okay, top three things. I can do that. The first one, I, I wanna I wanna draw a fence around a concept, and that concept is intent. Intent is the most powerful predictive indicator in the realm of digital marketing. And what I mean by that is is you really wanna see what people do when their intention is to align with your product or service. If you push your marketing out in front of somebody, like kind of you know, relevant television, radio, newspaper type interrupter marketing, that's one thing, right? I can get you in, in, interested in something via push marketing. But when I actually go to the internet and I say, hey, I'm looking for an airline ticket or a tennis shoe or, you know, someone to help me with content marketing. What PPC allows you to do, what Google allows you to do is to begin gauging yourself against intent. And that gauge lets you test things like which key phrases are most important, what ad copy is resonating, uh, what message, what value proposition, etc. So I'd say number one is uh, Google Ads allows you to benchmark yourself against intent as it exists in your industry. And a nuance to that is maybe there isn't intent, which means you need to come up with a different, a different <laughs> marketing uh, avenue. Number two is Google allows you to determine how you rank from a competitive standpoint. And I don't mean rank in terms of, you know, where you're showing up in your ads, one, two, three, or four. I mean, how much your competitors are willing to pay, how much time, effort, energy, and money they're willing to put into um, this competitive market and whether or not that's feasible or viable for you. It is not uncommon to be in a market where a customer is worth more to your competitor than they are worth to you. One really good example, one of our clients is the largest privately held plumbing company in Arizona. Well, recently somebody moved into this space. I won't use any names, but um, they do home improvement kind of from floor to ceiling. And they started using plumbing just as a way to get a relationship built with the customer. And they started doing it basically essentially at cost. That person can now pay more for the customer than we can afford to pay for them, thereby pricing us out of the market effectively, at least for high commercial intent key phrases. So Google lets you know right out of the gate, hey, this is what this market is doing. You know, it's an organic ecosystem and you really want to have your finger to the pulse. So there's a war going on that uh, you really don't even know about unless you're intentional about uh, learning about Google AdWords online. What you said about customers being more valuable to your competitors, that's huge because I believe most business these days starts online and starts in a search bar. And so you won't even know what your market potential is if you're not even in the conversation and you're not studying the data. Joey, I could not have said that better myself, man. I think I might steal that soundbite from you. <laughs> hey, just uh, credit me in the podcast and uh, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure to do that. And you're absolutely right. 
I, I tell people, you know, one of my, my one of our better performing campaigns is for real estate investors. And what I tell people, and what I believe to, to the core of my being, is that I know when the real estate is going to turn thirty days before a realtor does. And I know that because I get to see what people begin searching for. So when people start to search for things like, you know, short sale, foreclosure, default, etc., that to me is a predictive indicator that we're looking at a, a downturn in whatever geographic market I'm, I'm looking at. So you know, I mean, Twitter knows when a cold outbreak is going to happen before anybody else does, right? Like all that, yep. that kind of predictive indicator, you can and should use that to your advantage in your business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I cut you off for the last thing. What was the final top three thing that people need to know about Google AdWords in their business? Yeah. So number one was intense. Number two is uh, where you're positioned in the market. And then number three, and it's actually a really good segue because we kind of just talked about it. I think it's cycles. Yeah. You don't always realize when you're in a cyclical market. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'd say 90% of my customers didn't realize they were in a cyclical cyclical market until we started running Google ads. Now that doesn't mean cyclical in terms of seasons, right? Because everybody thinks like, oh yeah, so the school year uh, ramps up and, and people start buying less or whatever that cycle may be. You could be in a cyclical market day to day. You might find out that the most, you might get most of your leads in the afternoon, but the leads that actually close come in the evening. Wouldn't that be interesting? Or most of your leads actually come in overnight on the weekends. And it's not just about lead quantity, it's about lead quality. You want to start gauging, you know, not just where can I make it rain with phone numbers, but who's actually closing and for how much money. And Google gives you the opportunity to do that. And, and almost overnight, you know, unlike organic ecosystems like, you know, organic optimization or content marketing, um, those are great and maybe even more powerful, but they take forever, 6, 9, 12, 18 months to build. Google PPC gives you the opportunity to dip your toe in the water right away and then see how it is your business and your message and your market perform. All right. So, Kossum, one of the things that um, I feel is different with Google versus Instagram or Facebook or the social channels is that Google is less about images. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, as an entrepreneur trying to figure all this stuff out for my own company, you know, Google is less about images and more about the copy, the words. I know that's oversimplifying and I know there are maybe even thousands of other elements about it, but what would you say differentiates Google versus advertising on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or even a LinkedIn. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong at all, by the way. I think that's that's a really astute observation and it's something that not a lot of people spend enough time thinking about. Think about the neural synapses that fire when you're engaging with media, right? Every different type of media. So you have like audio, like this podcast, videos, imagery, scrolling imagery, and then text. With everything but text, those can and typically are, at least to a degree, subconscious. They act upon us regardless of whether or not we want or need them, right? So you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you're seeing images. And even if you're not paying them much attention, they're still impacting your psyche. They're important for that reason. They allow what we call an impression. Statistically, it takes 31 impressions before somebody's ready to engage with the brand. It used to be seven. That's the old like 1960s Zig Ziglar. Mm, yep. Uh, seven system. times. Yeah. Yeah. Seven uh-huh. times. That's not true anymore. It's 31. <laughs> What's interesting about text though, is text has to be engaged with. You're not going to get a whole lot of subconscious impact or impression from text unless you're actually reading it. But when you're reading it, your retention ends up going up and your intention is stronger. So you can casually watch a video, casually scroll past an image. You can casually do just about anything with media, but with text, you actually have to engage. It requires work on your end and that work is an investment. And when you have people that are investing and learning about a topic, that to me is a gold mine for a marketer. Because I can push my video or my image or whatever in front of you all day, every day. And that's perfectly fine. It's going to get me impressions, but it's not necessarily going to relate to money. But when you tell me, hey, I'm really 
willing to invest in this particular topic, that's when I want to put my best foot forward and really approach you with quality content. And that w- that's what Google Ads allows you to do. And I think that's the nuance between those different types of mediums. Was that a, a good answer? That was perfect. We are joined by Kasim Aslam, who is a founder and CEO at Solutions 8. If you're just picking up the podcast, Solutions 8 is a digital marketer certified agency. They're one of the top 10 agencies according to expertise.com. And Kasim, you've been in business since June of 2006. So you know, you're know you almost leaning into 13 years now. Yeah, uh, I'm old. <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far, man. But <laughs> well, where I was going to go was, uh, so you've seen this sort of, you know, marketing pre-Instagram when Facebook was just starting out in the early 2004 era. The web looks a little bit different than it did back then. What are some things, if we can put it in two categories, one, things that are constants, like the same things matter that did in 2006. And then what are some of the things that are changing that people need to really be paying attention to if they want to keep up with what's going on? Joey, what a great question, man. I love that one. So I'll start with what's staying the same. Quality content will always win. And back in the day, quote unquote, when I first started this game, it was really easy to game the algorithms. And I would be lying to you if I told you that I didn't try to play that myself for a while. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was it was easy to do keyword stuffing. Um, Google Ads, you know, AdWords, because they just changed their name, but Google AdWords was a whole lot easier to manage. It had a fraction of the functionality that it does now. It was a lot easier to cheat, but even with it being easier to cheat, what you ended up finding out is is the people that approached their marketing with integrity and transparency, they just always won. And I'm not trying to sound like your grandmother right now. I promise you I'm not. It's just, it's a principle to marketing that the folks that, if you have the highest quality content, you're going to rank the highest. If you have the highest engagement rank, Google's going to deliver you more often than not. When you do the right things, you get rewarded for them. It was true then. And interestingly, I think it's, if you don't mind me kind of crowbarring the conversation, it's sure. almost more true now. You know, I mean, these algorithms have gotten more and more effective. And and I think Google's a high integrity organization for the most part. I think they've done a really good job at making sure they're canvassing information in a way that measures deliverability and, and customer engagement. And they will reward you for being, quote unquote, the good guys. So what was true then is true now. You need to be the good guy. And for the most part, this is an even playing field. You know, I can compete with Walmart now with their trillion dollar marketing budget. And the internet has allowed us to do that. And, and I think that's a pretty powerful thing. For me, what has changed is there are way more people in the space. There's so much noise. It's not an ATM any longer. It used to be like for every dollar I put in, how many dollars do I get out? And that's fine. And we play that game with PPC. Yeah. But it's relationship building now. And it wasn't always that way. You really need to earn people's trust and respect. I mean, look at your podcast, man. Look at the amount of time, effort, and energy it costs you to do something like this. But it's so important because people get to know you. They hear your voice. They understand who you are as a person. They get to understand your personality. You know, back in the day, this just wasn't necessary. It would have been massive overkill unless you were just into doing podcasts. (laughs) If you love to hear yourself talk. Right. Yeah, unless you just really want to do it. But you know, nowadays, you have to be willing to invest in the relationship with people. You have to be willing to spend the time that's necessary to make them comfortable. Everybody wants to automate everything. Automation just should just get you closer to the human facet of the relationship. You're never going to, you know, out-human automation. At least you shouldn't try it because I think that's how businesses die. So, you know, what's always going to be the same is you got to be the good guys, guys and gals in order to be inclusive. But what I think is changing is it's just not as easy as it used to be. 
be. You know, I mean, the quick wins are, are dying down and it's getting to be way more organic and grassroots and feet on the street and you have to be willing to put in the time. And you know, the whole four hour work week, make money by the beach. I don't buy it. Tim Ferriss works 80 hours a week. That's a fact. It's funny. I, and I'm not sure when this podcast will air, but I actually had another uh, very prominent entrepreneur on the site and we both loved the four hour work week. Now, Tim Ferriss is a workaholic and the rate at which he produces things, it's clear that he's not doing that for <laughs> four hours. <laughs> you know, I, I think um, the title is like just a catchy title, but it teaches you to really reconsider the level of eff- efficiency with which you're approaching your day. And uh, I'd love to get you, I'm not going to mention who this was because he's a pretty big name, but I, I'd love to get you guys at a coffee shop one day talking about like, can the four hour work week really exist? I think that'd be so fun. <laughs> I'd be all about it. That'd be a blast. Yeah. Let's sit down for some. And I, you know, I, I do believe it, it can happen, but it, it lands you in that growth or stagnation yep. zone. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sound pseudo arrogant real quick. Forgive me, but I, I own a brand. It's an agency that focuses specifically on Montessori schools. This brand nets me a six figure income mm-hmm. on an annualized basis net to me with about, I don't know what, let's say 10 hours worth of work a week. And I bet you I can narrow that down to four. The problem is, is if I narrowed it down to four, what would end up happening is it would atrophy because the four hours that I would be working on are just the upkeep and the maintenance. And somebody else is going to step into the space and create something I haven't created, think of something I hadn't thought of, find margin that I hadn't found, serve my clients better, pay more attention, give them more content, whatever it is. And over time, I mean, maybe it would last for, you know, I don't know what, a year or two, but that would go away. So I have to invest far more time, effort, and energy into it, and then also pay other people to do the same thing. I have a full-time CEO, basically, for that company to make sure that it continues to grow, because you're either you're either growing or you're dying. There is no homeostasis. There's no there's in-between. No, you know, there's no in-between. That's absolutely right, and I believe that strongly. Yeah, yeah, I that's cool. So, yeah, we've got to have a uh, book club battle. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. See uh, how people, that would be a cool podcast, just uh, different thought leaders on uh, opposite sides of a book, just uh, engaging in thought tearing one another apart intellectually. I think that'd be uh, a lot of fun. Well, so let's segue quickly away from the the four hours, but you've worked with some pretty big names. If anyone goes and checks out your your LinkedIn, they'll see some of your happy clients. And uh, being an entrepreneur, how is it different approaching large businesses or, and working with large businesses versus, versus working with uh, startups? And uh, if so, how? Yes, it's very different. And full disclosure, more often than not, they came to me and the job sort of fell into my lap. So yeah. I have very little pedigree when it comes to prospecting really big companies. I'm not any good at it at all. You know, the work that I've gotten, I've just been lucky enough because, you know, someone said, oh, hey, Cosm's good at that. They did that for us. And that segues into another gig. I'm a good marketer. I'm a horrible salesperson. I can tell you big brands are nightmares for marketers, though, because they don't allow you to be nimble. And in the realm of digital marketing, I need to make quick decisions. I need to make them fast. I need to be able to pivot. And, you know, one really good example, and I actually don't mind using this name because it's a safe space for me to be in. It wasn't a subcontracted relationship and I'm on pretty good terms with the folks that were the PM on the project. But I I helped Intel with their multifunction printer marketing campaign. And, you know, we had to wait 90 days to get approval on verbiage. (laughs) Everything's moved. There's a whole new printer on the market in 90 days. Yeah. (laughs) 
we and so it just ended up being a really difficult thing to do. And in, in contrast that with startups, where I can call the CEO right now today for any of the small businesses I work with and say, hey, we've got to move and we have to move now. And I think that that puts small businesses head and shoulders above these large corporations that are run by lawyers. You know, that's not to say that I turn down big business work. I definitely take it, but I, I make those caveats. You know, I try to manage those expectations. And small business owners, if you're listening, you have a leg up on these guys. You really can take them by storm. And we see it happen over and over and over and again. I've seen it in the mattress industry personally. I've seen it in the personal apparel industry. The silicon wedding rings, one of our clients sells those little plastic rings. They took on massive companies with VC-backed funding. And because they were nimble, they captured a really significant portion of market share. Hey, go ahead and shout them out. I'm probably wearing it right now. Oh, uh, Groove Rings. Okay, I don't have the Groove Ring, but... I bet you, you got Kalo, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> and they're, they're good folks, good company. Um, and Groove ended up taking their marketing internally, God bless them. We helped coach them into that. But yeah. uh, really good guys. And, and I mean, the guy, you know, he's, he's 100% self-funded. Bootstrap, yep. got himself, and just blew it up because he's brilliant. That's good. Um so yeah, I think small businesses have a really big leg up on the big business. Yeah, I think when you're a small business, you almost feel like, oh, I've got to work with that dream brand, you know. But the reality is, is that you could probably make more money and have a better peace of mind and quality of life working with smaller brands that have budgets to invest. Because you're right, I've worked with some larger institutions and it's just a bigger wheel to turn. I love working with small businesses. I love working with brands that are small on purpose because you do get to see your stuff come to light a little bit faster than uh, working with larger, larger names. Absolutely. And, you know, you really make an impact, too. If I made Intel another what, if I made a fraction of a percentage change on their balance sheet, I'd be shocked. But I can get into I can get into a small business today and I can double the size of their business. And I've yeah. done it. And yeah. that I mean, man, that changes people's lives. You yeah. know, well, hey, Kossum, in our final words here, if you could share how people can get in contact with you as well as any parting thoughts you might have. Uh, go to my company website, Solate, S-O-L-8. That's S-O-L, the number 8.com. Uh, we offer free PPC evaluations if you're interested. That's really my bread and butter. Parting thoughts, man. Gosh, just keep on doing what we're doing. I think entrepreneurship is, I mean, this is like the economic vanguard. Small business owners, entrepreneurial endeavors. This is so important to our country, to our world, to our ecosystem. So everybody listening, you're vitally important. And I can't overstate that. So thank you for being you and keep on doing what you're doing. If you've recently started a business, why take away time from what you're good at, only to focus on difficult, pesky HR problems? Jumpstart HR LLC offers a better solution. Jumpstart HR provides HR outsourcing support to U.S.-based small businesses and startups and was recently ranked among the top 10 HR outsourcing firms in the country, according to businessnewsdaily.com. From recruitment to employee handbooks to legal compliance, Jumpstart HR helps you get peace of mind about the people in your business. Visit jumpstart-hr.com for more information or follow on Twitter at jumpstarthr. Jumpstart HR, let's build a better business together. Thanks for listening to the Business Life and Coffee Show with Joey Price. We hope you're inspired to become the best version of yourself after listening to our guest. What thought or idea stood out the most to you? Keep the conversation going by tweeting the show at bizlifecoffee or our host at joeyvpricehr with the hashtag BLCMoments. And if you like what you just heard, pass along our podcast to at least five people. Detailed show notes can be found at www.businesslifeandcoffee.com. And our full archive is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. This has been a Jumpstart HR production. Join us next time for another edition of the Business Life and Coffee Show.